Hello, everybody. Welcome once again to another fantastic episode of the Business Creators Radio Show, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and passion. My name is Adam Homie. I am your host, and I am honored by your wise decision to tune in and invest in yourself today. As the name says, we and our listeners are business creators. We have our entrepreneurs, small business owners, local business owners. We have marketing and business coaches. We have the folks who help others build their businesses. And we have the do-it-yourselfers who like to have your own hands on the levers. If you are any of the above, in fact, many of our listeners are all of the above, take a moment, go through our website, and find the episodes that best serve your quest towards experiencing your brilliance and passion. Also, check us out on iTunes. Be sure to subscribe so you get immediate access to over 250 episodes covering a breadth and depth of topics relevant to business creators just like you and fresh content fed to your iTunes every single week. So this is going to be a very exciting interview. And the gentleman we have on board today is somebody who uh, we have interviewed before. Uh, we spoke with him just about a year ago. His name is John Vespasian, and he spoke with us a year ago about success for low-energy people and the sequentiality approach. Now, this year, now that we have him back, we're going to be getting into sequentiality a little bit more and from a different direction. I found this topic very, very interesting when we covered it last time, and I wanted to bring him back so that he could share with us even more on the topic of sequentiality. So we're going to dive into that, and let me just say a little bit about John for those of you who were not here last time, and for those of us who uh, are just getting to know him. John is the author of nine books about rational living, including When Everything Fails, Try This, Rationality is the Way to Happiness, the philosophy of builders, and the 10 principles of rational living. Also, rational living, rational working, consistency, the key to permanent stress relief, on becoming unbreakable, thriving in difficult times, and his newest book, Sequentiality, the amazing power of finding the right sequence of steps. So again, welcome aboard. And we are going to go a little bit beyond what we covered last time. Uh, when it comes to when it comes to speaking with John, in fact, last time what we spoke with him about was the eighty twenty principle and not letting the eighty twenty principle mislead you. We did cover sequentiality a little bit then, but now we're specifically going to cover sequentiality and how to get success for low energy people. John, my friend, welcome back. Come on in. The weather's fine. Hi. <clears throat> thanks. Uh, many hands. Many thanks for having me on. All right. So. We covered this briefly a year ago, but let's get into detail now. Tell us, what is sequentiality? What, what, what do you mean by that? Uh, sequentiality is, uh, is a pattern uh, in personal development and in business development um, that shows that uh, many people achieve extraordinary success and also extraordinary happiness uh, just by finding a sequence of steps. Without being uh, extraordinarily motivated, some people are not very motivated and they just, uh, they're just persistent and eventually they come up with uh, the right sequence of steps. Some people find it uh, by chance, uh, by trying different things. So what I have done in this book is to, um, to research um, 
a, a great number of stories, very, very large number of stories, biographies. Uh, many of them are business people. And to show the patterns uh, that have led people to success uh, very, very often without uh, having a very clear goal. And this is why I call the book sequentiality because I think it's more important uh, to focus on the right sequence of steps than uh, to be extraordinarily motivated. If you are very motivated, but uh, you don't know what you're doing, uh, basically you're wasting your time. I understand. Now, you mentioned you tell a lot of stories in the book, and I myself am a big fan of stories. So can you give us a few examples of what you're talking about? Yes. Um, one of the um, patterns uh, that you find in successful people um, that follow this uh, sequence of steps <clears throat> is that um, whatever they do, even if they, they, don't, they don't know what they're doing because they have uh, a period of adversity, they are confused, uh, sometimes they don't have the resources. The pattern you find in all the successful stories I presented in the book, and I think it's, a, it's, it's part of human nature, is that uh, when you're facing um, confusing situations uh, in business, in your private life, in your health, um, what you have to try to do, because it always works, uh, given sufficient time, what you have to try to do is to build assets. To build assets in the sense of building uh, relationships, uh, building intellectual assets, uh, building skills, uh, building a social network, build assets. Even if you don't know what you're doing because you are confused because your business is, is, uh, is going uh, down the hill, uh, you don't know exactly what is the right uh, marketing method, you have to build assets. And let me just give you an example from history that I found very impressive uh, because he's the, the archetypical uh, person who doesn't know exactly uh, what he wants in life. And this is the story of um, Alexander von Humboldt um, the University of Berlin here in, uh, in Germany is named after Humboldt. Uh, he was one of the most famous uh, naturalists in the 19th century. And Humboldt uh, started his career in a completely confused uh, manner uh, because he went to university and got a degree uh, in mining, in geology. Um, he could not find uh, an interesting job, so he ended up as a mining inspector in Germany. It was super boring because his job consisted of of, of doing inspections and writing reports. So he didn't like it at all, but he could not find a better job. And uh, eventually, uh, he tried different things. He learned languages. He wanted to find a better job, but he could not find anything else. And eventually, his mother uh, passed away. His mother, uh, his father had died when he was an infant, but his mother uh, passed away, and he inherited a small amount of money, what would be uh, the equivalent of inheriting, uh, inheriting a house, I mean, you can inherit a few hundred thousand dollars, but it would not make you a millionaire. Uh, it could make you comfortable, could give you money to buy a new house, but that's it. He was not, uh, he was not a millionaire. But uh, instead of doing what uh, everybody else would have done, which was to, to use the money to, um, to buy a new house or a new car, uh, what Humboldt did was amazing because he thought, okay, this job is super boring. I want to do something else with my life. I want to, to explore new countries. I want to find opportunities. And he tried to raise, uh, he used his savings to raise money uh, to explore South America, which in the late 18th century, 19th century, was still a known territory. He believed he could find new resources. And he went around, like if you go to a venture capital company, he went around uh, trying to find uh, sponsors. And he went to Spain and he failed. Then he went to France, he was rejected. Uh, he couldn't talk to Napoleon, who so he was rejected. He wasted his money. He went to Belgium, he was rejected. He went to, to Germany, 
uh, to different companies, mining companies, they all said no. So he wasted uh, one and a half years. Uh, he consumed 50% of his savings uh, going the rounds because he had to pay everything himself. So eventually he, uh, he was faced with, <coughs> with a very tough uh, call because he could go back to his job and say, okay, I give up. I'm going to spend the rest of my life um, uh, doing this. Or he could take a risk. And he did something amazing, which is with very little money. Uh, he just put the money in escrow and he went to South America uh, with uh, <clears throat> another uh, person interested in, um, in natural history. And they walk uh, from Mexico to uh, Argentina. They literally walk uh, around the coast, taking notes, making drawings, uh, talking to people. And, and when um, uh, Humboldt came back to Europe, uh, he didn't spend a lot of money. He spent uh, about $60,000 uh, in today's money. When he went back, he used the rest of the money uh, to publish his notes because he had taken the copious notes and he published uh, eight volumes, uh, which he paid for himself. And um, this made him almost overnight uh, the most famous uh, naturalist in the world. And uh, the rest is history because Humboldt was so famous, he could get uh, all kinds of assignments. He created a business from scratch because nobody was doing that. Nobody was doing exploration in exotic uh, countries. And he was hired by the Russian government uh, to do a survey of Russian um, resources. Uh, and eventually he lived very, very long. He was very, very happy. And uh, this shows that uh, even if he didn't know exactly what he wanted, because he didn't have a business plan, he didn't have a clear idea how he was going to make money out of the whole thing, but he had a clear uh, sense of direction. And this is uh, something that uh, you find very, very, very often in, in people who become successful. Uh, they don't necessarily know the goal. Sometimes they change the goal as they move. But um, if you do like um, uh, Humboldt and you create assets, because what uh, Humboldt did was to transform uh, his small amount of money into assets. And he created uh, these books that are still published today in the 21st century. He became super famous and the rest is history. So this is something that is a great example because it shows sequentiality as it's best. Uh, you go step by step. Uh, you try to find a sequence of uh, steps. You don't necessarily get it 100% uh, right, but uh, if you just keep going in the right direction, uh, you will eventually see the light. And uh, my book presents uh, a lot of examples like uh, Humboldt's uh, showing that uh, if you just keep going in the right direction, uh, it's just a matter of uh, trial and error. Right. And you know what I found? This is a little bit of a motivational thing. And I know we have a lot to cover here, so I won't belabor the point is I myself can go through periods where I'm feeling a little demotivated. And I know there's something within me, John, that causes me when I know that when I'm about to take steps that are going to have a big impact that sometimes causes me to, I don't know, pause or to take a moment before I make that big move because it could have a big impact on my business. It could have a big impact for a client. It could have a big impact for a member of my program. And I find that the best way to get motivated is just to get started. So let's say I have a project I need to work on and I know that there are 20 steps to that project. And let's say step one is uh, create the outline. So I open up a Word document I type out five bullet points. Now I'm motivated because now I'm going back and I'm looking at what are these five bullet points I just typed? 
is this relevant? Is this part of the flow? Is this what I need to be doing? And just that process of my brain creating the end result drives me forward because I am now on the path. Uh, certainly, this is a way to go. Um, but um, what I show in the book is that uh, many people don't even get to this level. Uh, they just yeah. try to pursue some kind of uh, goal, very, very vague. Uh, they want to do something in a certain area. And eventually, they just figure out uh, how to make money out of it after going into different directions, making mistake after mistake. And just just the pure persistence. Even if they are not super cheerful, because many of these characters I paint in the book, uh, portraying the book, many of these characters were quite uh, low-key personalities. They were not super um, uh, extroverts, but uh, they just found a way uh, because they wanted to do something. They wanted to work in a certain area, and eventually made money. I mean, they made, uh, they became successful. Let me just give you another example. <laughs> another uh, story I cover in the book is the story of uh, Jacques Cousteau, who was a very famous uh, TV producer in the 1970s. He made the nature documentaries, uh, basically of uh, submarine life. He was a world-famous oceanographer. And Cousteau also found uh, the right uh, sequence of steps, uh, basically by making mistakes and by disaster. Because when he was um, uh, young, he wanted to become uh, a Navy officer. So he went to the uh, Navy school, in France, he was French, and uh, he graduated. Uh, he, he got um, uh, his first job, I think he was uh, second lieutenant uh, in the Navy in France. But um, shortly after graduation, he had a, a very severe uh, road accident. He was driving on the road, and he, um, the car skid, and um, eventually he broke his two arms and his two legs. And Cousteau was immobilized in the hospital Uh, for a very, very long period, and uh, he recovered. Eventually, he could uh, walk again uh, with difficulty. And the doctor told him, look, if you want to recover the the muscle strength that you have lost uh, during these six months of uh, staying in bed, uh, you have to take up swimming uh, because it's the only way to actually to to regrow your muscles. And uh, Cousteau didn't like swimming a lot. He found it a bit boring. But okay, I mean, this was his only way to actually recover. So he obediently started to swim in the ocean. He found it still very boring. And to make it even uh, something more interesting, uh, he got some Googles and started to dive uh, under the water. And eventually he became very curious about uh, submarine life. He borrowed a camera, in a, a camera that can uh, make pictures underwater. And he started to make pictures. Uh, he got even more curious and he actually um, uh, got a, a camera, the first camera, uh, was experimental to uh, to make uh, movies underwater. He started to make movies underwater. And uh, one thing led to another. And within two years, he had made his first uh, feature movie about uh, submarine life. It was very primitive. It was a very, uh, very uh, rough movie. But still, it was the first uh, submarine movie ever made. Uh, he presented in a couple of festivals. Uh, he got some uh, acclaims and good reviews. And he started from there, and he just went uh, making movie after movie. And uh, in a few years, he was making so much money that he quit uh, his job at the Navy. Uh, he became a full-time producer, making uh, uh, naturalist um, documentaries about nature, about the environment. And he continued to do that for the next 40 years with uh, huge success. 
So this shows you that uh, sometimes it's not uh, having a plan, it's not having uh, a clear idea what you want, it's just uh, when you get uh, an opportunity and you find the steps uh, you are not expecting, uh, you just uh, follow the way and try to make the best out of it. And Cousteau uh, made the best out of a very severe uh, road accident. Instead of becoming completely desperate and completely depressed, uh, he just uh, took up uh, swimming and then diving and then uh, photo making and then movie making and then became a millionaire. So um, the stories of sequentiality are not straight. They are not based on clear goals. They are not based on, uh, on clear patterns of uh, going from A to B. Uh, what they show is that uh, if you follow opportunities, if you follow your um, interest, eventually you will get to something. I agree with all of that. Now, you raised another point to me a little while ago, and I wanted to share this with our listeners. These are great stories. Uh, to me, in some ways, they are inspirational and motivational. If anything, they're educational. Now, in your books, you have shared that you have some skepticism about positive thinking. Tell us more about that. Um, yes, well, I have nothing against positive thinking as such. But uh, I think um, uh, you should not just get uh, focus on the thinking. Uh, you have to, to also do the, the actions. And you have to really make an effort uh, to find opportunities. And I find it um, uh, a bit sad that uh, in our culture, uh, we are so much focused on the positive thinking, on the dreams, on the beliefs. Uh, I think this is important, but uh, it can be misleading. And what I have done in the book is to show a story after story that uh, not everybody who becomes successful is super positive. Uh, some people just become successful out of uh, sheer uh, indignation because they're doing something and they want to improve their lives. They want to, to uh, get in a different uh, situation. They want to, to make more money. They want to have more fun. And eventually they find the sequence of steps that leads them uh, to the place they want to be, even if their goals are very fuzzy. So uh, positive thinking is good. I think uh, it's good to be motivated, but uh, you have to take the actions. And um, most of the time, uh, people are going to find the steps only when they're already walking. Uh, the idea that uh, you can open a Word file and, and decide, okay, I'm going to follow these one, two, three, four, five steps. Um, it can happen if you know the field very, very well. You have 20 years of experience in the field and you know exactly what you have to do. Uh, but most people don't have uh, that much experience when they're starting out. And um, they have to learn by experience. They have to learn by trial and error. Um, you will be very fortunate if you can uh, make bullet points and, and uh, identify all the steps. But this would be extraordinary. Uh, most people will not be able to do that. Right, right. Very interesting. Now, um, I'd like to get a little bit into some of the themes that we see through some of your works. And as we know, you've written nine books so far. There may be other books in the future, but you have a body of work that I find very interesting. And it's the reason why we've been very happy to have you to the Business Creators Radio Show twice so far. And hopefully we'll have you back next year as well. Uh, why? One of the themes that goes with your books is an emphasis on health and longevity. And why do you place emphasis on health and longevity in your books? <clears throat> yes, because um, 
I think when you write books about uh, practical philosophy, you can call it personal development, you can call it any way you want, but basically it's practical philosophy. Uh, you have to show the whole picture. And one thing that I find super annoying uh, when I read um, uh, books about psychology, about personal development, is that they, they give you a lot of tricks uh, about uh, how to develop your business or how to, uh, to do something better. But uh, you have to see the whole thing in, in the context. And um, it doesn't really help if you become super motivated and super uh, hardworking and you work 20 hours a day and then you get a heart attack and then you die uh, before you are 50. Uh, this is not a good approach. So I think that uh, when, you, <coughs> sorry, when you're giving uh, business advice or marketing advice or you're trying to, to teach uh, personal finance, uh, it has to be shown in context and it has to be given um, um, a twist it has to be given uh, a, a focus from the whole aspects of human uh, life. And um, the first thing I check when I'm looking at the story uh, of a biography, the first thing I check is how, how many years, uh, how old did this person uh, got? Did he get to 50, 60, 70, 90? Uh, when it gets to 90, I start to become very interested because he was successful as a business person but he was also very wise in his lifestyle. He managed to, uh, to live uh, 80 or 90 or 100 years old. And I think there is uh, a lesson to be learned from that. And most of the stories I try to, um, to present in the books, in my books, uh, they are about people who live very, very old. Uh, for me, it goes together with wisdom because it's not just about making money. It's not just about uh, being successful or being famous. If you do not become very old, and I'm talking about at least uh, 80, 90, if, if you can live 100 years old, much better. Yeah. Uh, if you don't have this in mind, uh, you might be uh, uh, going the wrong direction because you are burning, uh, we say, the candle on both sides. Uh, this is not a good idea. So this is why I always uh, talk about health in my books. They're not books about, they're not medical books, but uh, I always make a, a really an emphasis, I place emphasis on longevity because it's very important. Uh, don't believe people who lived uh, 50 years and then uh, they are very, very rich, but uh, it's not a good example to follow. Right, right, right. Very, very true. Very true. Now, uh, going along with that topic, you've also shared that millions of people, and I think this is very true, there are millions of people in the world who feel so depressed that they can barely function. What is your take on that? Yeah, the, um, the problem has been going on for already for decades, but it's getting worse and worse. Um, I recently read a statistic that uh, they are in the, only in the U.S. Uh, there are 50 million people taking medication uh, against um, uh, depression, stress, anxiety. So if it's 50 million in the U.S., possibly worldwide, uh, it's going to be at least uh, 200 million. I mean, it's really a huge amount of people. And um, what is the reason behind? Because uh, you cannot really say it's, the, it's a chemical problem, that they are not taking enough medication. Uh, there is something behind. And uh, what I have found uh, in research, in historical research, is that most of the time uh, it's going to be a set of ideas uh, that is very unrealistic. Uh, people have expectations or they have uh, a certain logic uh, in their heads uh, that is not working. And then they become passive, they become uh, paralyzed, they become uh, depressed, uh, anxious, 
and then they sabotage their own, um, their own initiatives. This is a huge problem because uh, if you're running a company and you have uh, a couple of employees uh, suffering from uh, depression, uh, it's going to be very expensive for you because uh, they would come to, to work uh, from time to time, then they would have to be uh, on sick leave and then they come back again. Uh, you don't really know what to do with them. They can even uh, pollute the atmosphere of the enterprise. See, this is a very, very serious problem. And the only solution I can tell you from history is that um, people only get better um, when they change their set of ideas and they become more realistic. Not necessarily more enthusiastic, but at least more realistic. And in my latest book, In Sequentiality, I present um, a few examples of uh, how to avoid this situation. Let me just give you quickly one of the stories. Look, uh, one of the reasons that uh, makes people uh, depressed and uh, anxious is that they are, they are hypersensitive. And hypersensitivity uh, sometimes is presented as a virtue because, uh, say, people are, oh, you are very sensitive. But uh, it could be sheer stupidity. And there are many examples of people who destroy their lives, even if they have a lot of talent, uh, a lot of resources, a lot of opportunities, they just destroy their lives because they are hypersensitive. They cannot stand uh, failure. They cannot stand uh, negative criticism. Uh, they cannot stand uh, a bad review uh, on Google and newspaper or on Amazon. And this is not good. Uh, you have to be balanced. You have to be a bit uh, tough in life. Uh, hypersensitivity is not a virtue. It's a, it's a, it's a sickness. And uh, one of the stories I present in the book is the story of uh, Dante Gabriel Rossetti, who was uh, one of the most interesting uh, painters, artists in the 19th century in, uh, in the United Kingdom. He was very talented. Uh, he was a painter. He was a poet. The problem with Rossetti is that uh, he destroyed his life because he was hypersensitive. He got a few uh, bad reviews uh, to one of his paintings, and he became an alcoholic. Uh, he became addicted uh, to substances, and basically then he went downhill until he, uh, he died uh, in his early 50s. A complete disaster. I mean, the guy was a genius, but he could not cope uh, with failure. He could not cope with uh, negative criticism. And this is, for me, the reason uh, behind this uh, massive uh, wave of uh, depression. Uh, people are very unrealistic. They expect uh, life to be easy. They expect uh, their dreams to become true uh, too easily, and this is not realistic. Wow. Wow. And you know what I've noticed? Just one of the other themes that just sort of occurred to me as I've listened to you speak for these past 25 minutes is your reliance on the lessons of history. And I'd like to go there for a moment if we could. In fact, what I've noticed having perused some of your books is that your books are based on history. So why should we care about things that happened a long time ago. I'm reminded uh, years ago, I ran into this person I know, and she said, what do I care about history? That's what happened yesterday. I care about what's happening right now. I, I couldn't even continue the conversation because I, I, I myself get it, but I want to hear from you, John. Why do we need to care about what happened a long time ago? Well, there is a logic in the question. If you say, okay, why do I care? I mean, it happened uh, in, a, in another country. It happened in another century. Uh, it happened to different people. Dif people of different, uh, speak different languages. 
different cultures. But uh, the idea behind is that uh, human beings uh, remain the same through the centuries. And we make the same mistakes. Uh, it doesn't really matter if you are using um, uh, smartphones or you are using a, a typewriter or you are using uh, a pe ink and, and a pen. It doesn't really matter. Uh, we make essentially the same mistakes. And this is why I think that uh, <laughs> if you can learn from history, uh, you will save yourself uh, a lot of trouble. You will spare yourself a lot of suffering in life because you don't need to make uh, the same mistakes. Let me just give you an example from, uh, from the book uh, about learning from history and how uh, critically important it is. Look, in the early 20th century, uh, there were several people trying to, uh, to explore and to find um, the South Pole in Antarctica. And there were several expeditions uh, from, the, from the UK, from England. There was another one from Scotland and another one from Norway. And these people, they had a lot of resources. I mean, you are talking about millions of dollars of sponsorship. Uh, they went there with ships. Uh, they had a, a crew of uh, 50 people. So it really was a huge um, uh, undertaking. And they wanted to go to the South Pole uh, to find this because they thought there were resources there. They wanted to, uh, to, uh, to plant uh, their flag. And uh, many of them died. And they died in horrible circumstances because they got frozen uh, they lost um, everything. They, they were completely abandoned. It was a, a complete disaster. Some of them are still there because they could not even recover their bodies. And there was a guy from Norway, uh, Amutsen, who just went there. And he was like a walk in the park. He did everything right. Uh, he wanted the right uh, place. He, uh, he used the right technology. Uh, he went there and came back. And all the other people, they froze and they died. And when they asked this guy, okay, how was it possible that it was so easy for you? And all the rest uh, died. And he was very modest. And Mutsen said, look, I'm not a genius. I just check uh, what other people were doing in, in similar circumstances, and I learned from them. And by checking, by simply asking, uh, he was the only guy in the, in the whole undertaking who actually found uh, what kind of clothes uh, do you need to wear in Antarctica. He figured out uh, you have to wear furs because if you wear um, uh, um, textiles, uh, you will get wet and you freeze. And he was the only guy who figured out you have to wear furs because the English and the Scottish, they were wearing wool and they all froze. It was terrible. And uh, Amutsen was the only guy who figured out the right kind of dogs. And he said, okay, what kind of dogs do I need to, to take to Antarctica? And he bought the dogs in Siberia. And there are right. dogs that were already... Uh, used to, uh, to low temperatures. And the stupid uh, English, they bought ponies, and they took the ponies from Argentina to, uh, to um, Antarctica, and the ponies broke a leg and they died. It's a terrible story, but it shows you you have to learn from history because uh, these people died because they didn't check, they didn't, uh, they didn't learn from history. They tried to improvise. And um, Mutsen uh, organized the whole thing in a couple of months. He made a checklist. He learned from history, and he won. So don't uh, make uh, stupid mistakes. You can easily research uh, what other people have done in similar circumstances. Um, of course, uh, I guess you're not going to go to Antarctica as a business venture, but uh, the mistakes human beings make every single day, most of them can be avoided if we learn from history. See, that's what I've been saying. You know, what I've discovered – 
in my years as an entrepreneur, in my years as a business owner, in my years as doing copywriting work, that a lot of the lessons that I have found to be most effective to advance me as a business creator come from reading autobiographies because it's great to listen to theories about how things should be and analysis, but I have found that some of the greatest lessons that you can find are when you listen to the person or read the person say it in their own words because only they were there and only they have the unique combination of experiential learning, development, and worldview that informs how they acted in that situation, how they reacted to that opportunity. So some of those lessons I found to be very powerful, and that is a study of history because these are folks who lived through history, helped create history, and now we're learning directly from them. That's just my own personal observation. Uh, yes, and let me just um, uh, give you another story uh, that shows a pattern uh, that is absolutely not self-evident. Because uh, today in the 21st century, uh, when we talk about success, about uh, business success, we also have the idea that uh, you have uh, a goal, you have a strategy, you have a business plan, and you implement it and you just, uh, you just go for it. And eventually you just uh, find a way to do it. <coughs> Sorry. And um, um, uh, it is not always so simple. And uh, one of the stories that I found super um, interesting uh, when I did the research for the book is the story of Giotto. Giotto was a painter uh, in the uh, 13th century, and um, um, sorry, in the 12th century. And, and Giotto uh, has a pattern uh, of success that is very unusual. I find it um, uh, very, very wise to learn because what happened to Giotto is that um, uh, he developed a career as a painter. Uh, he had uh, a workshop in uh, Florence, and uh, he got uh, most of the commissions from the church because most of the um, uh, paintings uh, in the 11th, 12th century, they were commissioned by the church. But um, Giotto found uh, his work uh, very boring. He was very talented, very innovative as a painter, but uh, the commissions he got there were most of them very repetitive uh, because painting in the, in the late uh, Middle Ages uh, was very, very dark, very uh, rigid, and Giotto was super creative. So eventually he got um, a, a commission, a very unusual commission uh, in Padua. Uh, it's about uh, 200 kilometers uh, from Florence. Uh, he got a commission from um, a, an aristocrat uh, whose father had died and uh, his father had been very, very... Uh, evil in life, and he wanted to build uh, a chapel uh, to expiate the, the sins of his father. So he hired this uh, Giotto uh, to paint the chapel. So look, you come here, you just paint uh, wherever you want. I want to devote uh, this uh, chapel to the memory of my father. And Giotto went there for the first time in his life. He was uh, already 35. He got a commission where he could paint whatever he wanted. And uh, he went to Padua, and uh, he spent uh, two years, he put uh, scaffolding uh, inside the church to be able, because he was very small. He was only um, uh, uh, five foot. I mean, he was a really very small man. And he painted the church in a very, very uh, innovative way. He, he painted uh, emotions uh, in the figures, in the faces. 
Uh, he painted um, uh, very dramatic uh, scenes, and everybody was amazed because nobody had done this uh, before the 12th century. He was a total innovation. Uh, he was, um, uh, in the sense, like uh, someone creating a new product or a new uh, trend. The problem with Giotto is that uh, when he came back from Padua, after painting this, uh, this amazing paintings, you can still see it there, and they are used very often uh, in Christmas cards still in the 21st century. For the rest of his life, and this is a very important uh, business lesson, for the rest of his life, <coughs> he had to, to go back uh, very much to the old style because he realized that uh, what he had done in Padua was one opportunity in a lifetime. He got the opportunity to do whatever he wanted without any constraints. And for the rest of his life, and he lived uh, still uh, another 25 years, uh, he tried to find opportunities to do uh, this kind of uh, innovative painting, but he never found it because the market was not there. Uh, eventually, he came back to the previous uh, technique, uh, which is very boring, which is very uh, predictable, but he made a living. Uh, he created uh, a very solid business, a very solid uh, workshop that he passed to his children who continued to become um, uh, to get an income from their paintings. So then he had to make a choice uh, between uh, uh, wild innovation for which there was no market and predictable uh, solid work for which there was a huge market. And this is something that uh, many business people find difficult to understand, that uh, you might be too much ahead of your market. And this is very, a very difficult wow. lesson to learn. Uh, it was very difficult for Giotto to learn this lesson, to accept that he was ahead of his time, at least by 50 years. But uh, you have to realize that you might be operating in a market uh, where your products or your services uh, they are too complex, they are too sophisticated, they are too, um, too excellent, and you might have to reduce uh, your level in order to find the, the customers you need. Right, right, right. And what I love about your approach, John, is, again, it's the storytelling approach. Pretty much our entire interview has been me asking questions and you telling these stories. And it does tie back to this idea of sequentiality and the idea of success for lower energy people because it shows that just coming up with that burst of energy is not the only way you can go about getting things done and moving things forward. So we're studying history. We're looking at health and longevity as a way of facilitating people moving forward. We're looking at uh, positive thinking, your thoughts on it, and more. So what I'd like to do now is, since we're dealing with low energy, I want to shift gears again, and since we have about 20 minutes left here, and I want to ask the question of, in your estimation, let's say a person is overstressed. They, you know, they're, they're weighed down, they're, they're frazzled, they're just totally wiped out with stress. What can they do right now to reduce those levels of stress? Yeah, the only thing that works... Um, uh, and this uh, is proven by uh, a lot of stories about people who have uh, improved their lives. The only thing that works is to make uh, your life consistent and to try to identify what are the areas of your life uh, that are inconsistent and try to, uh, to remove those inconsistencies. Uh, the inconsistencies can be very subtle. It's not always um, self-evident to say, okay, I'm trying to, do, <coughs> sorry, I'm trying to do too many things. I should do fewer things. 
yeah, okay, but uh, are the things consistent? Are you going in the right direction? Are you trying to do uh, what is important? And uh, sometimes it takes um, uh, a lot of analysis, a lot of thinking uh, to figure out uh, what is real, really the reason for the stress. Um, we tend to avoid this kind of thinking because it's, um, it, we feel it's a, like a waste of time. Uh, it's difficult when you're really uh, having a lot of work, you're having a lot of activities. It's difficult to find a couple of hours to actually think and say, okay, uh, what I am doing wrong? Why I'm feeling so stressed? Why do I have uh, difficulties uh, sleeping at night? But there's another way. You have to really uh, take a pen and paper and make a list of the, what you're doing every day and try to figure out what the problem is. And the problem sometimes is going to be invisible. Uh, it could be that uh, you are worried about uh, some risk in your business and it is not conscious, it might be unconscious and you're trying to cover the risk uh, without actually thinking about it. It might be a relationship problem and you're having uh, problems with some person and you don't want to address the problem because it's very uncomfortable and you just uh, uh, develop more and more activities in order to avoid uh, difficult conversations. So don't assume that it's super easy uh, to find the reason for stress because it is not simply that uh, you have too much to do. Look, if you have too much to do, but you are organized and you have a very uh, consistent approach, uh, you will not get stressed. Uh, you will delay things, you will have priorities, uh, you will have uh, a system for dealing with, um, with the work. And you would feel actually happy because uh, you are so successful that uh, you have so much work that uh, you can decide on the priorities. So it is not a question of uh, quantity. It is not uh, that you have too many activities, too many emails. Uh, in the end, you can find ways to, to deal with those. What creates a massive amount of stress in human beings is inconsistency. Uh, and this is something that uh, I go back to the idea of sequentiality. Inconsistency uh, destroys sequentiality. And let me just give you a quickly a story of a person who uh, destroys his life after building uh, a very successful sequence of, uh, of steps. He destroyed his life within a couple of years because he became very stressed. And this is the, um, the story of uh, Charles Dickens. He was a very famous uh, author in the 19th century. And Dickens, uh, he took, uh, about, it took him about 10 years uh, to develop a system uh, for writing bestsellers. And he was very, very organized. Uh, he would write uh, three pages every day. Uh, he knew how to create uh, very interesting characters. So he developed like a small uh, literary machine. And he produced uh, a book every year. Uh, year after year, he became very, very wealthy. The problem with uh, Dickens is that at a certain point in his life, uh, he was in his uh, early 50s, uh, he made a huge mistake that uh, created a huge inconsistency and he became very stressed. And the mistake is the following. Uh, I don't know why exactly, but he became um, too um, uh, bored with his work. He wanted to do something else. And he came to the idea that he wanted to write for the theater which was completely stupid because he was the most successful author in Europe. But he wanted to be a playwright. Uh, he wrote a play that was uh, really very boring. He tried to find the producer. Uh, he, nobody would want to, to stage the play in, uh, in London. So eventually he used his money uh, to stage the play with some um, amateur actors. 
and he hired uh, a professional actress uh, for the leading role. And there the disaster started because the, the actress was uh, 25 years uh, younger than um, uh, Dickens. Uh, he became infatuated with her. Uh, Dickens was married and he had uh, five children. And uh, what happened then was a disaster after disaster because he kept uh, his mistress uh, in a house. Then he had uh, his own house with his family and the guy was going back and forth all the time. He was completely paranoid about uh, the press because he didn't want uh, the press to know about his mistress. Eventually the wife uh, found out and he moved out. So he had to pay for three houses. He had to pay for the wife and the children he had to pay for, the, for his own house and then the house of the mistress because they could not live together because he was afraid of the newspapers. Right. And uh, he was so stressed that uh, he became severely sick. Uh, he was not even able to, uh, to write anymore. Uh, he wanted to make uh, more money because he spent so much money. He had to keep uh, three households. Uh, he started to give uh, public readings of his books to make more money. And uh, he became very, very sick. He went to the U.S. When he was back from the U.S., he was almost dying. And eventually he got a brain stroke and he died. It was a complete waste because he was a genius. But uh, he actually messed up with uh, success. He found the right way to become successful, but then he destroyed everything because he became distracted. He became stressed uh, because he was living a life that was very inconsistent. Wow. That is something. So we have consistency, sequentiality. These are all interesting things. Now, going back to what you were saying earlier about levels of stress and things like that, I want to test a theory with you since I have you here as a subject matter expert. In my own book, which is titled Groundhog Day is an Event, Not a Business Strategy, twice in the book, I, I include the same subsection, which encourages the business creator to look at the processes they have in their business, their roles, their regulations, their step one, step two, step three for doing certain things, the items on their to-do list, and look at each one of those items and ask this very important question. Do we need to be doing this? Do I have to do this? So rather than look at what can we do to simplify things, what do we need to do to reorganize things, Maybe the question we need to ask is, do we even need to do this stuff at all? What would happen if we just didn't do it at all? Would it, anybody even notice? Would anybody even care? Would any money be lost? Could money be made? That's a question I just don't see asked very often. So I want to get your thoughts on it as a subject matter expert. Yeah, I think um, it's an excellent approach. Um, not only in business, uh, I think um, it's applicable to many things we do in life. And uh, <clears throat> it reminds me when I, when I bought my first uh, robot for the vacuum cleaner. Um, I bought uh, some time ago, and now uh, all my friends have one. Because uh, I realized, okay, I was paying someone to clean up the house, and now with a robot, uh, the robot is going to do 50% uh, of the work. So eventually, if you can figure out uh, how to uh, skip a task, uh, either by subcontracting or by not doing the task at all, or by doing half of it or by doing less of it. I think it's a, it's a very good uh, move. Uh, but for most people, 
the problem is not uh, optimizing, uh, the problem is getting there. And um, getting there is a very messy, uh, sometimes very unpredictable um, approach. And uh, I would like to have uh, the luxury sometimes uh, to take a look at an operation and say, okay, what can I improve here? Uh, what kind of task <laughs> can I delete? Uh, what kind of um, uh, uh, activities can I leave out? But uh, if you're struggling, uh, trying to get the business off the ground, or you're just trying to get your career off the ground, um, sometimes uh, you just have to try everything. Um, you don't have the possibility to optimize. You have to go for it. And... Um, uh, and it's, it's, it's sad uh, that uh, we don't have uh, <laughs> sometimes uh, the tools uh, to figure out the solution. But that's human life. We never have enough knowledge. Uh, nobody knows everything of everything. And you have to try to figure out uh, how to do it. And let me just give you quickly uh, an example. Right. Look, one of the things that uh, is super annoying for people, for business people and for, um, uh, I would say, people in general, is that uh, you might be trying to become successful uh, at the business, at the profession, at the career. Uh, for many years, you might be working very hard. You might be highly educated, uh, highly motivated. Uh, you might be very positive, uh, but still, you're not getting there. And um, there might be a reason, and you have to face it, and uh, it's very difficult to acknowledge that, that uh, most of the time, when people are super motivated, super hardworking, uh, super organize and they don't get the kind of success they want, it is because they're in the wrong place. And the wrong place might be in the wrong company, in the wrong uh, field. And most of the time, it could be in the wrong place. Uh, I mean, geographically. And one of the stories I tell in the book is the story of uh, Casanova, who is well known to be a great seducer uh, of the 18th century, but Casanova was also uh, very wealthy. And he yeah. started with nothing. He started from scratch. Uh, he became a millionaire, and he only uh, managed uh, to make money because he was really struggling. He was getting fired from jobs, uh, job after job. He was really struggling. He only made money when he moved to France because in Italy, he was born in Venice, it was a disaster. I mean, he got sued. Uh, he got all kinds of problems. He got fired from his job. And eventually, uh, when he moved to France, and he could not even speak French when he went to France. He went to France. He learned French. And he started um, a, as a consultant uh, to organize um, a lottery in France because he knew the lottery in Italy. So he, he actually took the idea to the, to the government in France. He organized a lottery and he became a millionaire within a couple of years. And this is something that uh, in business is very difficult to accept that uh, you might be trying very hard, but uh, the market is not there and you might need to move uh, to a different market or to a different location, and then your efforts uh, will be rewarded. Great, great, great. I, I love all that. Now, speaking of energy, and this is something that I <laughs> thought of a moment ago as I was listening to you, and I know it's a little bit of a change of topic in the last few minutes we have here, but I think this would be a good place to help people who are finding issues with their energy. And I think some of it comes from the internet, especially when we talk about entrepreneurs. A lot of us are on the internet all day long. Uh, we don't have the same restrictions on where we can go on the internet because we don't work for corporations. I can go to any website I want to any time of day. So yeah, there's nothing that keeps me off social media or any website I want to visit or anything like that. So 
what we've also seen is that, wow, the internet, not only is it causing people to lose energy, but it's also failing to make people more tolerant and wise, which itself I think is an energy sapper. Why do we think this is happening? I think it's a very valid topic and a place we need to go in the time we have left. What is the internet doing that's failing to make us more tolerant and wise? Well, um, we have the fantasy that um, uh, with more resources, uh, we can easily do more. And this is most of the time is not true. And uh, it happens very often that uh, people win the lottery and within two years they are, they are destitute. Uh, it happens very often that uh, um, uh, sports uh, people, uh, they become very wealthy within a few years and then they lose everything uh, by making stupid investments. Uh, the internet is exactly the same story. I mean, um, in the 1930s, uh, um, it happened very often that uh, millionaires, they started libraries and they created libraries uh, for poor people yep. so they, people could read books. And they have the idea that if people could read books, uh, the problem will be solved because people will have access to uh, education and then everybody will be very clever. And it was a complete failure. Nobody read the books. Very few people go to the library. And the internet is exactly the same. Uh, you have this access uh, to information. Uh, you can read books. You can read uh, videos, instruction videos. You can learn uh, almost anything you want on the internet. But uh, what is the, the average uh, internet user uh, doing? They are, they are watching videos of cats or they are just looking at uh, some sports or watching some uh, soap opera on the internet. And this is how people spend their time. Uh, they, they, the opportunity to learn, or the opportunity to develop a business, uh, the opportunity to grow as a person in knowledge, uh, in connections, in, in uh, resources, uh, is wasted because uh, it is not used. And it has happened in history that every time that there are new opportunities, there are new countries, say, okay, oh, everybody's going to America and they're going to make money. Uh, many people did not go to America. They stayed in Europe and they starved. And every time there is a new opportunity, say, oh, everybody will do this. But most people will not. And this is human nature. And we have to be very conscious that, that uh, the availability of resources itself does not guarantee success. It's a fantasy. Uh, most people who create uh, very successful businesses, they don't inherit the money. They don't have uh, many resources. They just start little by little. It is not access uh, that guarantees success. So the internet is, uh, is a very wise uh, to take it as a tool, but it can multiply your strengths, but it will also multiply your weaknesses. Yeah, that's, very in that's a very interesting observation. I've found that in many cases that being online and is actually dehumanizing in some ways because we aim our thoughts and our reactions to the avatar that has been created. And what sometimes gets lost is there's an actual living, breathing, feeling human being behind that avatar. So what we see happen way too often is folks will argue with the complete stranger and, and make cast aspersions on that complete stranger's character, thought processes, morals, and all that. And if you start to think that there's a person back there, 
So both giving and receiving is a big energy drain when you think about it. Because even for the resilient person, getting beat that way leaves bruises. And for the person who's giving out that energy, couldn't you be putting that in a different place? I mean, that doesn't seem like a very sequential approach to success, if you ask me. Yeah, you're perfectly right. But um, we have to discipline ourselves and we have to, uh, right. to use the energy and to use the time effectively. And um, I don't know how many millions of hours are spent uh, on internet uh, watching porn or watching uh, <laughs> stupid uh, videos, but uh, that's human nature. And uh, the ancient Greeks, I was just reading uh, Sophocles uh, the other day, I was reading a tragedy, and they complained that people didn't use their time uh, wisely, uh, that uh, people wasted their time and wasted their lives. In the 21st century, it is exactly the same. And the internet uh, is, a, is a blessing, but it's also uh, damnation. Because if you use the internet uh, for sending, uh, I don't know, uh, stupid uh, uh, photographs uh, the day after day without actually getting anything done, uh, it's not a blessing. It's a distraction that is basically preventing you from getting anywhere. Exactly. Exactly. So as we wrap up here, uh, John, I first of all, I want to thank you so much for being with us once again. It's always a pleasure to have you on the Business Creators Radio Show. And for our listeners who may be interested in sequentiality or uh, working on stress relief, becoming unbreakable, uh, thriving through difficult times, and some of the other very important topics that you share with the world, uh, how can the person take it to the next level with you? Is there a way to contact you? Is there a way to get your books? How, what would you recommend being the next step for somebody who finds this interesting and wants to take yeah, it to I'm, I'm super easy to find all my materials. If you just type uh, John Vespasian on Google or Yahoo, you just type John Vespasian, uh, you will have um, immediate access uh, to my blog. There's a free blog with uh, hundreds of articles. There's a free newsletter. And you can also find my books they are available on Amazon. They're available on different outlets. Uh, just type John Vespasian on Google. Uh, you will find everything in one second. Right. All right. Well, thank you very much, John, John Vespasian. Thank you very much for being with us today. It's been an honor and an education. We hope to have you back soon. Many thanks, uh, Adam. Thanks for having me on. For everybody listening, this is Adam Homey, host of the Business Creators Radio Show. Please check out our previous and our upcoming episodes at www.businesscreatorsradioshow.com, where we help you win at the game of business and marketing so you thrive from the intersection of your brilliance and your passion. Until next time, have a great day. Take care. And that's it. Okay, so uh, let me see here if uh, you're going to be up soon. Uh, we should have this episode out. Oh, yeah, your date's already been picked. John, this will air on uh, Tuesday, July 17th, just so you know. Okay, perfect. As yeah. soon as it's out, uh, I will announce it on my blog and also on the, to my list awesome. so that uh, they can listen to it. Uh, I want to thank you again, Adam, for the opportunity and uh, talk to you soon. Absolutely. You have yourself a great afternoon. Thanks again, my friend. Goodbye. All right, see you.